0: Are you a Christian who finds yourself struggling with the same sin over and over again?
1: Do you feel like your life doesn't seem to reflect the resurrection you know to be true?
0: Have you tried dozens of books and techniques only to find yourself discouraged and ready to give up? Well, we've got good news for you.
1: Questions like these inspired our journey into the rich biblical truths we call New Heart Theology. And we believe if you join us in this journey, we'll learn together, we'll wrestle together, and we'll strive together unto godliness.
0: Welcome to the New Heart Theology Podcast, where we believe that when God gives you a new heart, He makes your soul completely new and that part of you sins no longer. Our show talks about this glorious truth and how it affects our lives and our battle with sin. I'm Grant Forrester, and I'm a pastor and an apologist in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I'm Kevin Layman, and I'm a pastor and a biblical counselor in Wilmington, North
1: Carolina. If you remember a few weeks ago, we began a three-part series on the inner battle for the Christian that exists between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. Last episode, we looked at the works of the flesh found in Galatians five nineteen through 21
0: in this episode, we're concluding our three-part series on the battle between the flesh and the Spirit for the believer by examining the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22-26.
1: We hope you enjoy the show. Okay, so we're concluding a three-part series on the battle between the flesh and the spirit for the believer. In the first week, we looked at Galatians 5, 16, 17, and 18 and saw how the Christian's battle with sin is made up of two opposing desires from two different parts of us. We have the desires of the flesh that originate in our unredeemed bodies and are always self-serving and often sinful. And we also have the desires of the spirit, though, that originate in our new hearts that lead us rationally into truth and actions that honor God. Paul says these two origins of desire are opposed to each other, that they're working against one another inside the believer. And so the encouragement of this message on the works of the flesh was to learn to identify the battle going on within us and then endeavor to lean into the spirit rather than into the flesh. But if Paul were to have stopped here, he would have left us with a glaring question. How do we know? How do we know what a desire of the flesh looks like and what a desire of the spirit looks like? A lot of times, it just feels like a whole mess of tugging and pulling is going on within us, and it's hard to tell what's what. Fortunately, Paul immediately follows this passage with two lists, one a list of the works
0: of the flesh, and then two, he lists the fruit of the spirit. In the last episode, we walked through the list in 19 to 21 of the 15 works of the flesh. We obviously can't go into all of them again, but I found that they basically fall into three rough categories. Sexual sin, idolatry or witchcraft, and difficult slash divisive slash envious people. So, This would be people who are sexually immoral that fall into that general category of porneia, which means any form of sexual activity that falls outside of God's holy confines of marriage. It would include people who worship false or fallen gods and those who use substances to access dark spiritual realms. And it would include people who are quarrelsome and like being difficult just for the sake of being obnoxious, dissentious, or divisive. Paul says that anyone whose lives are categorized by these works, let me say that one more time, categorized by these works of the flesh do not belong to the body of Christ. So that's the bad news. And if we were left with only this, with only the desires of the flesh, then we'd really be in a bad spot. We'd be in a lot of trouble.
1: But what happens to us then at salvation? We're given God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. We know that 1 Corinthians six seventeen says that he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Oh, yeah. So our spirit merges with his spirit, and we get a whole new set of desires. And these new desires lead to actions, virtues, and attitudes that Paul calls in our passage for today, the fruit of the Spirit. So let's read our passage that we're looking at today and dive into what this fruit of the Spirit looks like. So, Paul writes, Galatians 5 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. The first thing I want to point out here is that fruit is actually singular. Mm -hmm. How many times, Grant,
0: have you either said or heard someone say the fruits of the spirit? All the time, man. I actually I actually referred to it just like that until just a couple of weeks ago (laughs) when you showed me that it was singular. I always just kind of assumed that they were individual fruits that you had to kind of work to develop. And so you guys listening, if you're anything like me, you might be wondering like, so, so what, right? Like, what's the significance of it being singular? Yeah.
1: Well, while the works or deeds of the flesh are plural and yeah. people could only be involved in certain ones at a given time. In other words, it would be very difficult for somebody to be engaged in all of the, right, of the right, deeds right. of the flesh all at one time. That yeah. would, I'm not saying somebody hasn't tried, but that would be <laughs> yeah. very, very difficult. The fruit of the spirit is accomplished completely in believers. Yeah. And so it's not like we pick one or two from the list here of the fruit and say, okay, like this is going to be my thing. Self-control is going to be my thing, gentleness is going to be Grant's thing. Yeah. No, no. The spirit will work all of these out in those whom he indwells. Mm-hmm. So as you're listening to this episode, you will probably hear places where you are strong and naturally gifted but also be
0: listening for weak spots that you could potentially shore up. And the last thing we want to say before we get started is that a sermon could be preached on each one of these. Yes. We just simply don't have the time to do a deep dive into each one. So with nine of these to go through, we only have time to spend about three minutes or less on each one. So we'll be moving relatively quickly through these, just as we did the last time with the works of the flesh.
1: All right. So without further ado, let's kick off the fruit of the spirit. Oh, yeah. With the first one in the list, love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul writes, So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul believed love, agape love, was the quintessential Christian quality. Agape love is self-sacrificial love. It's the unconditional, being willing to give yourself up for someone else kind of love. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of love Christ showed us at the cross, Jesus himself said greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends.
0: And and by the way, that doesn't always mean literally right. dying in the place of another, but it it certainly could entail that. Sure, but it does mean husbands
1: who give up their own interests to serve their wives. Yeah. It also means mothers who lay down their own ambitions to pour into their children. It means Pastors and their wives putting aside their own agendas to serve their church body, or perhaps a brother or sister in Christ who puts aside their own preferences to make way for the preferences of another brother or sister in the church. And so the desire to serve others sacrificially will dominate
0: the life of a mature or maturing believer. And when I'm having a conversation with believers about this aspect of the Christian life, I see people describing love as if it were simply an emotion. And this this isn't true. We have to be careful of this. You may not be comfortable at all about laying your interest aside to help a brother or sister in the faith. You certainly won't be comfortable calling a fellow Christian out on sin. Mm-hmm. But these things are all a part of what it means to love one another. Love is a choice. It's not something that happens to you against your will. You You choose it every day, even when it's not comfortable. This is what scripture means by unconditional love. And this is why it's a fruit of the Spirit, because we would not be capable of doing it on our own. I can promise you this, when you serve others unconditionally and sacrificially, you will certainly experience true joy.
1: Yeah, our greatest joy comes from what Christ accomplished for us at the cross, and that's why joy is second in the list here. Yeah. Paul writes in Romans, more than that, we also rejoice or have joy In God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation.
0: And our joy is fed by hope in the resurrection to come. Hope is the foundational aspect of our joy. Paul just said earlier in Galatians 5, verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Hope is what allows us to have joy, even when our circumstances would dictate otherwise. Hope allows us to look around at our crumbling world and even our own crumbling lives at times and have joy that this is all just temporary. And something wonderful that awaits us at the
1: end. Paul says at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, this is his death row epistle. Paul knows that he is just days away from his execution and entering into the glory of God. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And listen to this, beloved, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This, beloved, is what true joy looks like, being content in all things because of the hope
0: in what awaits. Amen, man. And joy's spiritual twin, as some have called it, comes up next in the list, and that's peace. Yeah. Romans 5.1, Grant, says
1: we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the strength of our faith could be directly measured by the amount of peace with which you live. Mm-hmm. They, they operate in this, this correlating ratio. And to further build on that, God is called or alluded to as the God of peace at least six different times in scripture. And because we are created in God's image, peace marks the true children of God. Whereas we saw last week, the difficult people are associated with the flesh. So this isn't just peace with God, which of course we have in Christ. This is also peace with others. Yeah, I asked the challenging question in the last episode, are, are people typically more at peace after having interacted with you or are they anxious and off-kilter that's a good question do you yeah do you do you put your brothers and sisters at ease or are you constantly making them uncomfortable paul says here that a peaceful disposition will mark the
0: true believer and that's not just being at peace but also projecting peace to just reiterate like we said with with love this doesn't simply mean that your flesh should be comfortable all the time or that we are referring to a sort of emotional inner peace. And I hear this a lot on the university campus. We are talking about a relational peace. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane or carrying the cross to Mount Calvary. Jesus was still the Prince of Peace, even in those moments. And even though he might not have felt like that. Right. Peace is something that is promoted, again, by choice, by action. It's not an emotional state that we aren't in control of. We are responsible for dying to our selfishness and dying to our sense of self-righteousness in order to promote peace with those around us. And if you are the type of person who promotes peace, you will no doubt also show patience. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And this isn't so much patience in terms of waiting in a long line, though that might be an aspect of it. This is more closely associated with steadfastness and staying power. It has a specific application to how you are with people. It's being long-tempered rather than short-tempered. It's being slow to anger and sticking it out with those who offend you. It's not turning and running just because you're not getting your way. This is a tough one, beloved. Tougher than it may seem at face value. Think. Relational endurance. Bearing with someone's sins. Mm -hmm. because you have love for them. Considering others' interests above your own is why patience follows love. Real love will produce real patience. And with real patience comes
1: real kindness. Amen. Show me, Grant, a patient person who is not also kind. Yeah. Right. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. God's Kindness towards sinners is designed to lead them to repentance. So being kind to other people, us representing that kindness of God to the world, us putting that on display, being kind to other people is treating them as God has treated us, forgiving them just as Christ forgave us. Mm. When we are kind, we leave the fragrance of Christ with
0: the other person. Yeah. Amen, man. And goodness, the next on the list here, is similar to kindness, but specifically looks like generosity. Right. So if you recognize a desire within you that wants to be generous to others, that's a desire of the spirit, not of the flesh. A desire of the flesh may be pushing you to be greedy with what God has given you, whether that be time or money or other resources. But the spirit will lead you to be generous with all of these toward God and other people. But we do have to be careful not to use quote unquote generosity. As a way to pat ourselves on the back, that would be false generosity. That would be selfishness. And that would be of the flesh instead.
1: That's exactly right, Grant. And I think that the way that you are truly generous is by being faithful or, or yeah. having or possessing faithfulness. Yeah. God is faithful. And so his people are faithful. There is an element of trustworthiness here. Yeah. It has the overall meaning that you will steward well, whatever God has given you in terms of time. Talents, money, and resources. Faithfulness simply means you can be counted on to do the right thing with what you've been given, whatever that may be. Let me say that one more time. Faithfulness simply means you can be counted on to do the right thing with whatever you've been given. Amen. Man. And as we're coming to the end of the list here, we come to one that honestly Grant, if I were doing the list, I might have listed it a little higher. Yeah. And that's not to say that these are in any kind of ranked order, you know, to begin with. Yeah. But I just love the concept of gentleness, especially as a husband and a father, and especially as, as I feel like that's probably where I need to just constantly be working mm-hmm. in my life. And so it always yeah. stands out to me as as a, you know, some people are just naturally gentle. Yeah. You can probably tell by the way I yell into this microphone that I am not <laughs> naturally gentle, right? So, this one just always sticks out to me as something that should be always at the forefront of my mind. And so, I want to speak to the men just for a second and say that men, there are few character traits that will serve you better in the home than gentleness. Mm -hmm. It's a trait that I hope all of my son in laws possess. And, you know, if they don't, I may have to introduce them to my (laughs) friends at Salty Dog Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, and I'm sure, I'm sure they'll I'm sure they'll certainly
0: handle yeah. him with gentleness. Yeah,
1: yeah, Joe, I'm looking at you if you're listening, brother. But uh, Aristotle defined this word as literally the incapacity for anger. I love that guy. Yeah, yeah, the incapacity for anger. What a, what a nice way to put that. Gentleness is looking an offense dead in the eye, as some other things we've talked about staring down in the past, <laughs> and responding the way Jesus would respond, and this requires so many other aspects of the Spirit's fruit, which is why you can't really separate them. That's why they all have to be together. To be gentle, you have to be kind, and you have to exude peace, and you have to be patient, and you have to be slow to react. Like All of those things are required to be gentle. And so gentleness is a gracious response, often to an
0: ungracious action. And then last on the list is self-control. And it actually has a lot to do with gentleness. They are very similar words in in the Greek. It certainly means being able to control your propensity for anger, but it also means self-control in other areas. Aristotle uses this word to describe a man who has strong passions, but is able to keep them under control, as opposed to the man who doesn't deliberately choose wrong, but has no strength to do what is right. Mm Mm-hmm. Paul uses this word as a reason to marry in 1 Corinthians 7, 9. He says, if you can't control your sexual desire, it would be better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable one. Mm -hmm. And athletics is a great example here. Paul is pointing out that no one gets to the top of their game without mm-hmm. exercising control over indulgences. And that's really what self-control is. It's finding the balance between complete deprivation and indulgence in most in things. Most things. Yeah, yeah. In most things. Some things we should practice deprivation from entirely, things that the scripture tells us to avoid. But most things are always good in moderation. And speaking of moderation, I think we did a pretty good job handling that list. We didn't spend five hours on that.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure.
0: And then so those those nine virtues are what primarily define a true believer. And now for a a few quick notes. First, there are certain Christian attributes that are not on this list, such as sober-mindedness, hospitality, and being respectable. But you can see how most things could be placed categorically in one of these nine found here in Galatians.
1: Yeah, and please don't think you have to do all of these perfectly right now. As we said a couple of weeks ago about the works of the flesh, this is all a a work in progress. We would not expect a new believer or someone who has not been properly trained to exemplify all of these perfectly. A master blacksmith wouldn't expect someone to craft a sword on their first day of blacksmithing, or at least a usable one. A lifelong artist understands that a first-day art student won't be able to paint the Mona Lisa. A lumberjack would never let me climb a tree with a chainsaw until I had spent weeks, if not years, working with him. Or even a personal trainer hopefully wouldn't put a bar holding 500 pounds on my shoulders until I had spent plenty of time learning the proper
0: form. And, and then, in the same way, like Joe Selecki wouldn't teach me heel hooks on my first day of jujitsu. <laughs> you had to get it in there, did you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Joe,
1: I was going to cut you from the show, actually. That was in our notes. I was going
0: to cut you, but Grant had to get it in there. Yeah, man. All I, mean, right. <laughs> I didn't know that you wanted me to cut it. No. I didn't, I didn't hey, know, it's I, hey, it's all good now. Hey, it's in there now. It's in there. All Permanent. Right. All right. And in the same way, walking in the spirit takes a lifetime to master, as in the spirit will guide you in the growth of these until your time here is finished. It's going to take a lifetime. We will strive together all the way to death, shrugging off the desires of the flesh and embracing the fruit of the Spirit. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Don't burn yourself out or become discouraged too early in the race. And even once we cross over that River Jordan, we will spend eternity continuing to become more and more like God. Now, Paul leaves us with a few notes on
1: how to incorporate this into our lives. Let's look at those for just a minute. First, he says in verse 24 that those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its desires and passions. Now, we know this doesn't mean they are completely dead or gone. He just got done saying they are very much alive, even in the life of a believer. What it means is that the desires of the flesh no longer have power over the believer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You are now free to put them to death. And put God's greatness on display with your actions. I used an illustration a couple of weeks ago, walking into church and, and all the children in the church trying to drag me to the ground. Now, the only way I go to the ground is if I allow myself to. They do not have the power to pull me to the ground. Yeah, They want to pull me to the ground. They aren't going to stop trying to pull me to the ground. But the only way I go down is if I allow them to pull me to the ground. The crucified flesh works in the same way. It will not stop trying to pull me or you into sin, but it doesn't have the power to do so. The only way I am pulled into sin, the only way you are pulled into sin
0: by the flesh is if we allow it to pull us into sin. Second, in verse 25, he says that if we live by the Spirit, we should keep in step with the Spirit. I love the way the New English Bible translates this verse. If the Spirit is the source of our life, let the Spirit also direct our course. Mm. If we live by the Spirit, we should walk or keep in step with the Spirit. I like the way F.F. Bruce puts it. Walking by the Spirit is the outward manifestation in action and a speech of living by the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so living by the Spirit is the root and walking by the Spirit is the fruit. It means if we have been changed inwardly by Christ, then our actions will be changed as well. We will manifest the fruit of the Spirit in our day to day living. And the longer we walk with Christ, the more evident this fruit will be.
1: And finally, Paul calls for unity in the body. Paul names three dangers that could cause division among the believers in Galatia or at any church for that matter. He says in verse 26 let us not become conceited or prideful. Let us not Provoke one another to arguments and divisions, and let us not envy what the other has. So prideful people, difficult people, and envious people will wreck the body of Christ. Paul's final plea in this section is that these three categories do not represent believers in the body of Christ. Well, that brings us to the end of this wonderful section of Galatians. Yep. We have seen the battle. We've seen the deeds of the flesh, and we've seen the fruit of the Spirit. At the very least, we hope through this entire series that we've done that you can now identify the battle that you fight on a regular basis and have a general idea of what desires of the flesh look like as opposed to desires of the Spirit.
0: Yeah. And nobody is going to be perfect at this. And, right. And everyone is, is in their own unique place in, in their walk with Christ. And so we're here to help you keep walking. We're here to be a resource. And Lord willing, we're not going anywhere. So please stay tuned for just a
1: sec uh, for some information and announcements about the show. Thank you to everyone for listening to the show. And we hope this has been a benefit to your walk with Jesus. If you've been encouraged by our show, you can show your support in several different ways, and we'd love for you to pick just one today. You could give us an honest five-star review. You could subscribe to our show. You could follow our Instagram channel at New Heart Theology, if you haven't already.
0: And we always love it when you tell a friend about us. And you know, Kevin just mentioned our Instagram channel. We have a lot of new content that we're also putting out on that medium now. We post weekly with Reels, stories, quotes, memes, and informative slides. So please consider checking that out. Yeah, and if you've got questions or feedback or need to talk to someone genuinely about
1: counseling issues, we have several ways you can get in touch with us. First, feel free to use the Instagram channel that we
0: just mentioned at New Heart Theology. And we also have NHT email addresses as well. So you can reach out to us at info at newhearttheology.com and you can direct your questions to either Kevin or myself. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening and God bless.